Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Macworld Magazine, February 1994. The Desktop Critic by David Pogue. The Test of Time. A decade of products that keep on ticking. Or don't. Yep, the Macintosh is ten years old, as measured in people years. In dog years, that's seventy. But in technology years, it's more like seven hundred years. If you doubt my math, try to imagine the world of Macintosh a decade ago. Macworld editorials complained that a fully loaded system folder can easily weigh in at 200 kilobytes. Programs called MacSpell, Multiplan, and LoadRunner roamed the earth. The love boat was still on the air. Oh, the progress we've made! Oh, the richness of choice we have today! Oh, the money we've blown on programs we never use! This is no industry for the weak need. Of the 101 companies whose products were listed in an early Mac Connection ad, 84 are now out of business. Surprise, Microsoft is still doing fine. What determines whether a product will survive? This month, I thought it might be instructive to have a look at a handful of products that have remained on the market into the Mac's second decade, and a few that didn't. And how did I select the products? Was it a scientific lab evaluation? A strategic demographic overview? A careful representative survey? Nah, I picked whatever I felt like. FileMaker Born January 1985, by Forethought at $200. Sold today by Claris as FileMaker Pro 2.1 at $400. Believe it or not, FileMaker started out as the Macintosh version of a DOS program by Leading Edge. But that far-seeing company scoffed at the notion of Macintosh software, choosing to bank instead on the hot new computer from IBM, a little number called the PC Junior. The four programmers, ex-Wang employees calling themselves Neshoba Systems, therefore struck a deal with a tiny publisher called Forethought. The program, FileMaker, was the 23rd Macintosh product brought to market. When Microsoft gobbled up Forethought, along with PowerPoint, it made Neshoba a paltry offer for FileMaker. Microsoft obviously didn't want FileMaker to outshine its own powerhouse database program, the now-deceased Microsoft File. I tell ya, this industry is just full of far-seeing executives. Neshoba reclaimed the program, sold it under the company's own name for a year, and finally, in 1988, succumbed to a lucrative offer from Claris. The program, then called FileMaker 4, that's F-O-U-R, was renamed FileMaker 2 to the complete confusion of everybody, everywhere. Key to Longevity FileMaker had plenty of worthy competition in its early days, such forgotten classics as Mac Lion, PFS File, and First Base. But FileMaker took full advantage of the Mac's graphic possibilities. Furthermore, FileMaker offered non-permanence. You could change your mind about anything at any time. Contrast this with programs like PFS File, which, when you tried to change the layout of your information, warned that 
You may lose some, or all, of your data. Stuff It Born August 1987 by Raymond Lau at $15 Sold today by Aladdin Systems as Stuff It Deluxe 3.0 at $120 A shareware version is still priced at $25 History Stuffit's original programmer wasn't exactly a grizzled veteran of personal computing. When Raymond Lau wrote this classic file squeezer, he was 15 years old. Lau wrote the program for his own use, never suspecting that his little after-school experiment would become a lucrative data highway juggernaut. Within a year, Stuffit was the standard for Macintosh compression. Lau wanted time for side activities, such as going to MIT and having a life. He offered Stuffit to Software Ventures, whose leaders, adhering to the tradition of failing to know a good thing if it bites you, turned it down. In 1989, productless Aladdin Systems saw the light and took this shareware program that could commercial. Key to Longevity At the time of Stuffit's introduction, the only Macintosh compression program was Packet. Lau's program was faster, compressed tighter, and preserved the folder structure of compressed files. On top of all this, the thing was shareware, and if you only wanted to unstuff files, it was free. No doubt about it, if you want your program to become a standard, nothing beats 1. making it better than the competition, and 2. giving it away. Aldous PageMaker Born July 1985 by Aldous at $500 Sold today by Aldous as PageMaker 5.0 at $900 Key to Longevity Oh, good lord. We all know why PageMaker made it big. It was the first page layout program for the Macintosh, right? Early bird gets the worm. Actually, nope. PageMaker was the third page layout program after Mac Publisher and Ready Set Go. What made it the colossal, industry changing success it is today was, as Aldous President Paul Brainerd puts it, a three legged stool. The hardware, good luck, and timing. The hardware, of course, was the laser writer. In yet another case of executive myopia, there was a movement inside Apple to kill the LaserWriter project. Who would buy a printer for $7,000? Therefore, the LaserWriter product manager needed PageMaker as much as vice versa. Brainerd worked frantically behind the scenes with Adobe and Apple, dreaming up the brand new buzzword, desktop publishing. In a national tour reminiscent of Bill and Al's campaign bus ride, the little company of 12 people trained dealers, educated the market, and gave interviews. There are three incredible aspects of all this today. One, desktop publishing is nearly a $3 billion market. Two, Brainerd still runs Aldus. And three, they still haven't tacked Pro onto PageMaker's name. Quick Decks Born June 1987 by Cassidy and Green at $35. Sold today by Cassidy and Green as Quick Dex 2 at $50. History 
Apple programmer Bill Atkinson demonstrated a little program called QuickFile, a tiny 9K address book program to programmers Robin Cassidy and Michael Green. On the spot, they decided to create a desk accessory version. Key to Longevity Unlike other phone book programs, QuickDex doesn't have separate fields for city, street, zip code, and so on. Instead, you can type any information on each card, including your own notes, met on a plane, has terrible toupee, or whatever. Result? Find a phone number in QuickDex, even with thousands of names typed in, instantaneously. Still, QuickDex isn't nearly as full-featured as the more recent programs like TouchBase or NowContact. So how come everybody still uses it? My theory? You can't export freeform cards to a field-based program. Therefore, QuickDex will probably be with us forever simply because it's too much trouble to switch. Lotus Jazz Born August 1985 by Lotus at $600. Died June 1988. History Okay, you're Lotus. You come out with Lotus 123, Bafo smash hit. You follow up with Symphony, instant triumph. So now you try a product for the Macintosh. Integrated word processor, spreadsheet, graphics, database, telecom, all crammed, impressively, into 512K of memory. You predict it'll be running on half of all the Macs in America. Key to its demise. You, too, can repeat the jazz experience with these simple steps. 1. Release the product a year late. 2. Leave out the very features that made 123 a success, macros, power, and speed. 3. Require exceptional Mac horsepower, 512K, and a second floppy disk drive. 4. Make the memory situation so fragile that the word processor cops out after 17 pages and occasionally declines to carry out minor commands that require too much memory to execute, like save and quit. 5. Copy protect the program so that dealers, let alone software pirates, whose significance as the unofficial first vanguard of software reviewers shouldn't be underestimated, can't easily demonstrate the thing. Then advertise like crazy. Cozen Soft Strips Born October 1985 by Cozen at $200 Died February 1987 History Soft strips were glorified barcodes that could be published in a magazine or photocopied. If you owned the soft strip reader, which looked something like a 16-inch long fluorescent bulb in a hot dog bun, you could scan these printed strips into your Macintosh to get a file of information. And lo, the icon for the file you had just scanned would appear on the desktop. In its ads, Cozen waxed rhapsodic. Quote, all your favorite books and magazines would publish strips. Tiny shareware programs appeared right in the ads. In one ad, Cozen even pitched soft strips as a way to transfer data between PCs and Macs. Key to its demise 
Well, there was the chicken and egg syndrome, of course. Nobody would buy a reader until there were enough published strips. But nobody would publish strips until... you get the idea. Mainly, though, the soft strips technology was slow and fussy. Each printed strip contained three kilobytes of information and took two and a half minutes to scan. But it could still work, right? Sure. Your Word 5.1 upgrade comes in the mail printed on ordinary letter-sized paper, 671 sheets of it. No problem, it would only take 84 consecutive hours to scan. True Form Born August 1989 by Spectrum Digital Systems at $500. Died 1991 as Adobe Trueform. History For a nation obsessed with filling out forms, Trueform seemed to be a forerunner of things to come. It let you add on-screen blanks to the scanned image of a paper form. The result was you could bypass the painstaking task of recreating a real-world form on the screen simply for the purpose of typing information into it. Adobe bought the program from Spectrum, nope, not John Scully's Spectrum, in 1989, revamped it, and entered the marketplace later that year. Key to its demise It wasn't the software that failed, but the market. Trueform and Clarissa's Smartform, also defunct, got good reviews, were well promoted, and worked well for all 17 people in the form's design industry. It turned out to be a smaller market than we expected, murmured a Claris spokesperson. The Upshot Of course, there are plenty of other cautionary tales for creating Macintosh products. You might learn from the examples of Microsoft Write or Quark Style, stripped-down versions of bestsellers Don't Sell, or of Wings, Resolve, and Full Impact, Nobody Competes with Excel and Comes Out Alive, or Jasmine Hard Drives, The Customer Is Always Right. The lessons for creating products that do last, on the other hand, seem to be 1. Make it good, fast, small, cheap, and not too ambitious. 2. Make it easy to get into and hard to get out of. And 3. Whatever you do, don't believe them when they tell you it'll never work. What will Mac products be like 10 years from now? This much I know. Word will still have more icon bars, version 1.0 of anything will still be buggy, and we'll still be dialing out of quick decks. Contributing Editor David Pogue author of Max for Dummies, IDG Books Worldwide, 1993, was shipped in 1963. He's compatible with every Macintosh model and crashes only occasionally. Epilogue Stuff It is still being sold, though I'm not sure exactly why. I would wager that nobody under the age of 30 has even heard of it. Stuff It fell out of favor relatively quickly after macOS 10 Panther added built-in zip compression in 2003. FileMaker is still going strong as a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple, as Claris was. PageMaker's eventual successor, InDesign, got off to a rocky start. But with a few revisions, and with generous help from Quark in the form of continuously brutal treatment of Quark customers and products, 
InDesign now dominates the publishing landscape. Cassidy and Green folded a few years after macOS 10 began shipping, but QuickDex lives on in the App Store, still a freeform information catch-all for both the Mac and iOS. Cassidy and Green's SoundJam product eventually became a little program called iTunes. Jeff Robin, co-developer of SoundJam, has a long history of working for Apple and was involved in Copeland, as well as the Blue Box environment for macOS X. There's a fun podcast on the rivalry between SoundJam and Audion. Look up Macintosh.fm, episode 12. I'm too young to have seen Cozen's soft strips in the wild, but I am old enough to have seen someone repeat the same mistake. Look up the Q-Cat. That's C-U-E-C-A-T. What we used to call integrated software, like Lotus Jazz and Clarisworks, have all but disappeared as we slowly lost hold of the idea that simplicity sells. On page 58 of Guy Kawasaki's The Macintosh Way, he quips that, I heard that Lotus sold 60,000 copies of Jazz and got 80,000 back. Even the people who pirated Jazz returned it. Uh-huh.